0: Hey, good morning, everybody. All right, if you got your Bibles with you, let's turn to Genesis chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 20 through 26. We're going to finish up chapter 4 today, and uh, we will pick up next week with chapter 5, Genesis 4 20 through 26. And. um, the title of our lesson, of course, is a continuation from last week, which is the two families, the two families. Um, if you were here last week and, I, and you heard my sermon, um, I used a quote in that sermon from a, a, just something I found online from a, a church growth site of, of uh, some, some guy. And he said this, it's critical that church leaders keep trying new things and keep experimenting. Too many church leaders are perfectly equipped to reach a world that no longer exists. Now, what he's saying is that the world we live in today is a different world than we lived in, uh, say, a hundred years ago or obviously a thousand years ago. And in some ways that's true, right? I mean, obviously, as I said, we've got satellites and GPS and uh, iPhones and all this technology, um, you know, we can fly from here to to, to Paris in uh, you know a few hours, as opposed to a trip that takes days. Obviously, our world has changed. But I've really thought about a lot about this this week. I was traveling and had some time in airports and on planes, and I was just thinking about this this question. And the question is: Are are people really fundamentally different than they were, say, in the '50s or? the 1650s or 950? Are we fundamentally different? Forget the outside, forget the way we dress, uh, forget the the technology. Inside, in our brains, in our minds, in our hearts, are we fundamentally any different than people back then? Now, I think this chapter, believe it or not, actually answers that question. I believe this chapter actually answers that question, and we'll actually pick this up at the end of the lesson. Now, as we saw last week um, in, in, in the first part of this chapter, scripture documents the growth of civilization in a very unique way. It does it using two families. Now, I will prove to you in a few weeks that uh, when the flood hit in Noah's day, that there were probably uh, somewhere between two and seven billion people on the planet at that time. Uh, which is uh, an incredible thing to think about. But So there's a lot of people. Don't, don't think there's just a few thousand on the planet. As civilization begins to grow, uh, the number of people on the planet grow rapidly. So there are they're, you know, first thousands, and then hundreds of thousands, and then millions, and then billions. But yet Scripture documents all of this through only two families, and that is the family of Cain, and the family of Seth. Now, as we said last week, God is is simply using these two families to divide all of humanity into two strands, and it's really the two strands that matter, and that is the worldly and the godly, the secular and the sacred, the believers and the unbelievers. As I said last week, God doesn't care about your ethnicity, he doesn't care if you're a man or a woman or 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 black or white or or Uh, French or American. He doesn't care about all that. What he cares about is, are you a believer or are you an unbeliever? Are you worldly or are you godly? Those are the two strands of people. And so that's what he's doing. The the line of Cain represents the worldly people. The line of Seth represents the godly people. So let's pick up uh, with the family of Cain. We'll start in verses 16 through 17, do a quick review from last week. It says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So Cain kills Abel. Uh, he, leaves, he leaves his mom and dad. He leaves the presence of the Lord. Uh, he's married one of his sisters. He takes, probably takes her, uh, obviously would take her with him. And he, at, they move off to a different land uh, they have relations, they have a child uh, named Enoch, and they begin to build a city, they begin to build a, a civilization. Uh, verse, four, uh, verse 18, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujel, Mahujel fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech. So we get to the seventh generation uh, from Adam, and we're introduced to a man named Lamech. Uh, he kind of steps on the stage. And, and, and the Bible gives him and his children a lot of uh, wordplay. Uh, they they kind of, like, if you go back to to Enoch, we don't know much about him other than his daddy named a city after him. To to Irad, don't know anything about him. Doesn't, doesn't tell us anything. But once you come to Lamech, it kind of stops. And it, and it spends a lot of time talking about Lamech and his children. And the reason for that is because Lamech... Is the prototype of the worldly man. In other words, if you if you follow the world, if you turn your back on God and you walk after your own ways and build your own uh, life and your own career and your own, this is the kind of man that that kind of lifestyle produces. He is the prototype. He is the epitome of the worldly man, and and because of that, Scripture goes out of its way to tell us his story. Look at verse nineteen. And Lamech took two wives, the name of the one was Ada, and the, other, the name of the other was Zillah. So the very first thing we talk, talked about Lamech last week, and we introduced this, is he is the first polygamist or bigamist documented in the Bible. Now, last week we, we asked the question, why two wives? Why would he take two wives? Well, we don't know the answer to that. Perhaps it's because in that day more children uh, meant you could get more work, more work meant you could produce more whatever you were making. Uh, producing more meant more wealth, more wealth means more more power. Maybe he did it for that reason. Whatever the reason, whatever his reasoning for taking two wives, what we see is the institution of marriage was changed for human reasons, okay? As we said, up to this point, God hasn't made a lot of laws, God hasn't written a lot down or even said a whole lot, but one of the things he did say and make very clear was that marriage was designed between one man, one woman, leaving their parents, cleaving together for life. That was one thing God was very clear about. So what we see here is Lamech, I mean even Cain as bad as he was only as far as we know only had one wife. But Lamech is taking it to another, everybody with me? He's going to the next level. See, the rebellion just grows. All of a sudden, the one thing God said, Lamech says, I don't care about that. I don't care what God said about marriage. I want two wives. I'll take two wives. And that's exactly what he did. So he goes even further in his rebellion than Cain did. Look at verses 19 to 22. And Lamech took two wives, and the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Namah. Now, from what we know, the these two wives give uh, Lamech at least four children, or, or the ones that we know of. Now, I don't doubt there's many more. Again, keep in mind, The Bible is only naming significant people. It's not going to name every... If it named every person that was born, I mean, it would just go on and on and on, right? It's It's just interested in the significant ones. So they probably had more children. We don't know that. But again, it's naming the significant ones. And these four children, these three boys and a girl, they take society to another level. You know, everything starts out as an agrarian society. God tells Adam, you're going you're to eat by the sweat of your brow. You're going to work the ground. You're going you're gonna to raise crops, right? And that's how you're going to eat, and it's going to be a hard life. So everything is an agrarian, a farming society. But here we see everything take a great leap forward. It really is an absolutely amazing thing. And we have to remember that Cain's family, even though they are fallen human beings, they are still made in God's image. And as such, they have absolutely remarkable abilities. I've said this numerous times. In the pre-flood area, um, and you'll see this, Adam and Eve, Adam lived 930 years. And we'll we'll begin to watch this. So genetically, he was almost perfect. He didn't have any bad genes. Uh, There was no cancer at that time. There was no genes that were mutating. Very little disease, if any. So he was super healthy. The man lived 930 years. So not only was his body strong and, and, and almost perfect, his mind was as well. And so in, their, in this pre-flood area, their mental capacities would have, get, again, been much greater than anything that we know in our time. In addition, not only were their mental capacities great, but as I said, they lived along... Just imagine this, I'm 55, and I can tell you if I knew now what I knew when I was 25, are you with me? Well, imagine, imagine if I was four hundred and twenty-five. Imagine if I was seven hundred and twenty-five. Imagine how much how much wiser you grow, and yet you're four hundred something years old, and you got the you got the body of a forty-year-old. I mean, imagine how productive you could be. I mean that these guys are. I mean they they're off the charts when it comes to what they can do and what they can produce. And so the Bible stops and it gives us three. Names and I want to show you something. If you'll notice those three names, it's Jubal. I'm sorry, Jabel, Jubal, and Tubal. Y'all notice anything about those three? They all end with the the same Hebrew stem, which is yabal, which means to produce. So, so these guys are incredibly productive in in what they do. They're not just living. I mean, they are absolutely producing things, and we see this. So it gives us three of them. We'll go through those for you. Jabal was the father of all those who dwell in tents and have livestock. He invents animal husbandry. So when we talk about animal husbandry, we mean the science of breeding and caring for animals. So where Abel was a, was a shepherd, he probably just took the sheep out and you know, protected them and, and, and watched over them and got them back in at the end of the day. He wasn't doing a whole lot. But this guy, Jabal, takes it to another level. He starts breeding he starts noticing, man, these are stronger than these. If I bred this one with this one. And so he, he start, that's what animal husbandry is. That's what keeping livestock. He is the original cattle rancher. Uh, so to speak. And again, it's not just tending sheep. He's not just tending cows and horses. He's, he's domesticating them. He's, he's breeding them. He's, he's, he's breeding out the, uh, you know, um, the stronger with the stronger and making sure that the, the herds and stuff grow. And again, this would include all animals. When the Bible says livestock, so not just sheep, but cows and horses and things like that. And again, remember, they're living hundreds of years. You know, you don't have a short time frame where you can, man, you see something, I can work. I mean, he lives hundreds of years. So he can learn about breeding and feeding and milking and probably killing. By the way, the fact that they keep livestock probably means that they're eating meat by this time. Okay, I mean, obviously keeping livestock would bring dairy and cheeses and milk and skins and all these other things. They're probably, uh, you know, if you, if you see anybody that has to live that way today, they don't throw anything away, do they? I can't imagine that they would do all that and, and then throw the meat away, right? So they're probably meat eaters. Uh, Jabal J- is the founder of all that. He's the inventor of, of all that. Uh, they learn to live in tents, of course, as they move around and graze so so that's what that's what it's talking about here, so we've got this new addition to society, this animal husbandry or livestock, which again would milk and cheeses and and clothing and 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 maybe the spinning of cotton and all kind of things get added to society through this uh through this one guy. His brother is a is a guy by the name of Jubal, and he is the father of all those who play. The lyre and the pipe. In other words, he's the inventor of music. Now that sounds simple, but understand it's like the guy that ate the first oyster, right? You ever thought about that? At some point, somebody has to open that thing and say, "I wonder what that tastes like," right? See, we we get it passed down, right? You know, our parents open oysters and give them to us, and I open oysters and give them to my kids, and. And they just take them and eat them and grow to love them. And, but somebody had to be the first one, right? Now think about the first person to invent music. I mean, you have to invent a scale. You have to invent tones and arrangements. And not only that, then he goes and invents instruments to play it on. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I don't know if you understand that or not, but that is absolutely amazing that somebody would just, would just do that. So he invents a lyre. Uh, the word there is a kinawar which is like, kind of like a violin. And, of course, you've got the pipe, which is uh, kind of like a flute, which is made out of reeds with holes in it. And then Tubal Cain, uh, his, his stepbrother, is the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Now, once again, that sounds simple, right? But can you imagine to be you've got to be the first one that figures out how to go into the rock and 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 you see these little things in the rock, and you think, hmm, I wonder if I got that out of that rock and I heated it. I mean, who who even comes up with that kind of stuff, right? I mean, this is incredible. There's a there's a passage uh, in Job. By the way, Job is is pretty much accepted to be the oldest book in the Bible. I mean, if you want to know the oldest book in the Bible, which one was written before any of the others, it's Job. And Job has got this... There's a place in Job 28 where he talks about mining. And I wanted to read this to you. He said this, "...Surely there is a mine for silver in a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches every recess for ore in the darkness and the shadow of death. He breaks open a shaft away from people. In places forgotten by feet, they hang far away from men." They swing to and fro. You see what he's saying? They drill down into the rock. They go into shafts. They go into places that nobody's ever been, and they're swinging on ropes. They're they're lowering down through ropes, and they're chiseling. Everybody with me? I mean, how do you figure out to go down there and do those kind of things? This is what these guys are doing. They're not just walking by and seeing a rock. I mean, they're mining. They're, They're opening up shafts. It goes on. A path that no bird knows, nor has the falcon's eye seen it. The proud lions have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams from trickling. What is hidden, he brings forth to light. This is Tubal Cain, this is how smart this guy is. He figures all this out. How do they get in the rock? They didn't have no bulldozers and all those kind of things? Did he have to invent explosives? To, I don't know what he did, but it, whatever he did, he did it. I mean, this is an incredible feat that, that somebody does. And Again, you just have to understand, this takes genius to do these kind of things. To figure this stuff out where nobody has ever done it before you it is is just an absolutely amazing thing. Now, Neymar is the only female... That's included in the genealogy. Her three brothers are all linked to some kind of of, uh, human society thing or culture thing, but she's not. It just gives her her name. So we don't have a whole lot to go on with her. Uh, In fact, we're not even really sure why she's listed here. Now, if you research it and you go look at all these commentaries and things like that, you'll see a lot of guesses, but not a whole lot of certainty. The the very best you can do is look at her... um, her name. Her name comes from the Hebrew root "naem," which means to be pleasant or lovely. It's the same root that the word Naomi uh, comes from. But the same root in the Hebrew. Let me take a step back. Does everybody, anybody remember how many words are in the Hebrew language? Eight thousand. Eight thousand. Anybody know, remember how much in French? Forty thousand. I don't even know English is ridiculous. They only got eight thousand words, so when you only have eight thousand words, you use words over and over and over again to mean different things. So the same root of Naomi that can mean lovely can also mean to sing. So it could be very well that she would have made her the founder of vocal music. She was the first one where her brother was was doing the arrangements and and uh, all of that and and building the instruments. She could have been very well been the first one to actually you know come up with words and sing words. Uh, to this music so here we are in just a few generations and society sees these incredible advances they've become civilized they've urbanized they've built cities uh, they're fed they're clothed they're now they're entertained right that's what the music is doing it's entertaining them they're 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 protected they're in cities with walls around them I mean, you've now got, in only seven generations, a very highly developed society. And it has all the looks of this great progress, right? I mean, it's just moving ahead. In fact, if you read it, it sounds a lot like our world, doesn't it? I mean, they're going about their life. They're they're doing the best they can, right? They're having children. They're getting married. They're building culture, building careers, coming up with vocations, inventing things. Does that sound like 2018? I mean, it does to me. And and it all looks like great progress, but here's the thing. It's not progress at all. Because when you do all these things apart from God, it's only the illusion of progress. It's only the illusion that you're really doing something, when in effect, you're doing absolutely nothing. You see, the world back then... And today, tries to fill that emptiness. When they uh, Remember, the, these people have turned their back on God. You don't hear God mentioned in this at all. And, and that's exactly what the world's doing today. They're trying to fill the emptiness of their life because they have no spiritual life. And they try to fill it with all these good gifts that God has given. And by the way, they are good gifts. All of these things um, are, are, are good things. The Bible says every good and perfect thing comes from God. They are good gifts, but you see, apart from Him, these good things can absolutely turn into nightmares. These children that are born so innocent can become murderers. Cities, and we see this today, that are are supposed to protect people and bring people together and create a sense of community can turn into these jungles of poverty and violence, and we see that today. Music. Music. Music, which can, should be used to glorify God, is used to glorify absolute filth. Careers, vocations, which should make our life better, just end up, up you know, furthering and advancing all this greed and lust and all this scramble to the, to the top. You see, they're all gifts from God. In and of themselves, they're all good things. Nothing wrong with them. The problem occurs when these things are used outside of the presence of God. Now, why? Why do these things become bad things outside the presence of God? Because, see, none of that stuff has any redemptive power. It's all outside stuff. Everybody with me? It's just outside stuff. It can't change anything on the inside. So the outside is changing and advancing, and you're dressing better, and you look better, your hair's more healthier, because you can use all these products, and everything's looking better, and it's like, man, your life is really, you're really evolving, but on the inside, you're just getting further and further and further and further and further away from God, and you look around, and society is a mess, and you're like, how can it be like that? See, because inside, our hearts remain exactly the same. There's no redemptive power, and all this stuff that we're producing and building and making can't change anything inside of us. Now, let's come back to Lamech real quick. Now, these next two verses that we're going to read are going to tell us a little bit more about Lamech. The Bible is going to allow Lamech to make a speech. Now, here's this evil man. He's an arrogant man. He's a murderer. And the Bible is going to let him make a speech. Okay? Now, this is an odd thing if you ask me. But there's a couple reasons, I think, why it does it. First of all... This, these words that he speaks are going to tell us a little bit more about Lamech, but they're also going to tell us a little bit more about culture because in his, he's going to make a speech to his two wives, and in doing so, he tells us something very significant. And let's read it, verses 23 to 24. If you've got your Bibles, follow along. Lamech said to his wives... This is an interesting thing about the Bible. And again, we read this, we just get to it and read it and think, i got no idea why they did that, and we just move on, don't we? And we never stop and think and ask, why? Why is that there? God put it there. The Holy Spirit allows it to be there for a reason. Why? Well, let's read it. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If King's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Now, there's two things we're going to see in this. The first thing you, you have to notice when you read this is it is recognizable poetry. In your Bible, do you notice it's set off? Everybody see how it's kind of set off? That's because everybody that's ever read this from the beginning of whenever they started reading and writing this recognizes immediately that is poetry. The Jews call it the song of the sword. And, and one of the reasons we, I bring this up is because this is another human achievement. It's another human achievement. You see, poetry uses something called parallelism. And I'm not a poetry guy, so I had to kind of study. But this is where you write one line, and then you write another line, and it parallels the first line in some way. In other words, it corresponds in structure, or it corresponds in meaning, or things like that. This past Sunday, I I quoted a hymn. By the way, pretty much all hymns are poetry, put to music, right? Right? Um, I, I quoted a hymn by uh, Robert Lowry called "Weeping Will Not Save Me." If y'all were here, you you remember that. I want you to show. I want to show you this. It says, "Weeping will not save me, though my face were bathed in what." Y'all see the parallel? Weeping and tears. Working will not save me. Purest deeds that I can do. You see the parallel? Working and deeds. Only faith in Christ will save me. Let me trust thy weeping son. Faith and trust. Everybody see the parallel? See, that's poetry. That was written in 1876. That's called parallelism. Now let's go read Lamex. Ada and Zella, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen. Y'all see the parallel? Hear, listen. I have killed a young man, a man for wounding me, A young man for striking me. There's the wounded and the striking. There's the parallel. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamex is seventy-sevenfold. There again, the parallel. Everybody, Everybody see what that is? I mean, that is absolute recognizable poetry. Now, you may say, well, what's the big deal? Again, you know, we may not even like poetry, but even if you don't like poetry, you've got to understand that poetry is the highest use of language. It's where you have to sit down and think out what you're going to say. And you put the words together and you pick words that that fit. So it's a very high use of language. So once again, these aren't Neanderthals. This isn't some grunting caveman with a a piece of red meat saying, women, I'm going to take care of you, you know. (laughs) It's not like that at all, man. These are sophisticated, very sophisticated people. I mean, there is no a monkey don't even write a word, much less a poem, right? Now, yes, these are fallen men and women. Of that, there is no doubt. Lamech is wicked. He is proud. He is arrogant. He's insensitive. I mean, you just go down the list, and he's all of those things, yes, but he is still a man made in the image of God. And in that early time especially, they retained that image of God and His intelligence and the creativity of both Him and His family show that, how accomplished these people were in that early time. And by the way, we still see the same thing today. We see mankind capable of the greatest technological advancements that we've ever seen, right? And at the same time we are still as, as capable of the greatest savagery that we've ever seen. You ever wonder about that? You can look at the news and you see, holy cow, how can they do that? And you flip over the coin and you say, holy cow, how can they do that? How, how is that, how, how, is those, how do those two things fit together? To be so creative, to be so intelligent and able to move society ahead in so many ways And at the other side, so cruel, so perverted. Guys, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed at all. See, we're sophisticated in education. We're sophisticated in science. We're sophisticated in technology. All these things that we tend to move society ahead, and then we turn around and try to obliterate each other from from the planet. See, that's the problem with a secular culture. That's a problem with a culture without God. And that's, a, that's the problem with the line of Cain. And, and God wants us to see this. He absolutely is, is documenting all this for us so that we can look back and see, man, we're, we're just like them. Nothing, is, nothing has changed. Let's look at Lamech's poem real quick. Adenzilla, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I have to say. Now listen, we're not told why he's saying this. It just just says, hey, here's Lamech's poem. Um, but it looks like he's boasting to them, right? It looks like he's bragging to them. Now, remember, at this time, it is a very wicked world. When we get to Genesis chapter 6, the Bible will tell us, it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was so great that every intent of their and thought of their heart was just evil all the time. There was no good at all. It was just constant. So this is, a, this is a bad, bad time to be alive. And you may think, well, how would that wickedness assert itself? Well, the same way it does today. Rape, sexual abuse, murder, robbery, thieving, plunder. I mean, I mean it was a bad, bad time to, to be alive. No wonder they got into cities and built walls to try to protect themselves from one another. And so it would be normal in that day for wives to worry about those kind of things. Are we safe? Are we going to be taken care of? Do I have to worry about dying or my children dying? So this poem may very well be a response to their worry, why he speaks to them. Hayden Zillah, listen to what I have to say. And then he says this, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Now the words used here in the Hebrew for wound and strike basically indicate a slap. Basically, it's something like that. It's not fatal. It's not like the guy struck him with a sword or anything like that. It's a minor attack, what we might call a slap today. He says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. So what he's doing here, he is bragging that he's killed a boy, a lad, a young man for only lightly wounding him. See, what he's doing is he's celebrating this murder as a badge of honor. He's saying, y'all worried? Look at me. I don't put up with nothing. I don't put up with nothing. That, them, them, he just he just he he wounded me lightly. He's dead. And if I do that to them, what do you think I would to do to somebody that comes and tries to make war against us or take what belongs to me? See, everybody with me? I mean, he's saying, look what I did. Now, he's celebrating this as a badge of honor. And then he says this, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamex is seventy-sevenfold. See, this is his vinyl, final boast. This is the climax of his pride. Hey, man, I'm, I'm way greater than Cain. I'm, I'm so much more than Cain. Look, look at all I've done. Look at all we've built. If God will, if God will avenge him sevenfold, he'll avenge me seventy-sevenfold. By the way, as you go to the New Testament, you remember, and I didn't really pursue this very far, you remember what Peter said? What, what, what should I do if they offend me seven times? And what did Jesus say? Should I forgive them? And he said, no, not seven, but 70. There you go. So maybe, that, maybe he was actually pulling this out. I don't know. I didn't pursue that very far. This is what the lineage of Cain has come to. Lamech literally celebrates a murder as a good thing, a thing to be proud of. Listen, that's, this is all over the world today. People are just sinning left and right and celebrate it like it's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. We're calling evil good and good evil. Listen, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. There's more people and we can publicize it more and put it on TV and, and write songs about it and sell, uh, sell records and CDs and whatever else they sell these days. We can do all that stuff, but nothing's changed. See, this is always where a society without God leads. It did then, and it does, it does today. Now, this is where the genetic line of Cain will end. They're all going to die in the flood. After the flood, there's no more, there's no more line of Cain. They're, they're done. But listen, the way of Cain and the line of Cain sur- survives today in our secular uh, culture. Are we civilized? Yeah, we're civilized. We are as accomplished, as accomplished today as at any other point in history. Yet in our culture, inventions which could benefit man are just used to somehow just drive man further and further and further down. I mean, think about this. Arts and music. Just think about it. Arts and music should be used to, 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 to glorify God, to lift up the best of the best. And in fact, arts and music are perverted into pornography and and the degradation of women which are made in the image of God it's just society is is it's it's in a, it's a cesspool all these good things that we've been given but see that's where a culture without God always leads always and it's just tolerated it's just tolerated see that's the world system progress without God that's the Cain system. It's progress without God. But the illusion, it's an illusion because it's always exposed by underneath. It's the moral failure. We, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. We've got all these great inventions, all this technology, and we've got no moral compass to use it. No moral compass at all to use it. Okay? Um, now, this would all be depressing. <laughs> Because all of this is all without God. This would be absolutely depressing if the chapter ended right there, but it doesn't. Um, It ends with a glimmer of hope, and that is the family of Seth. Let's look at verses 25 and 26, the last two verses. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, here is the very first mention, all through chapter 4 up to this point, it's all been about secular culture. And then right here at the end of chapter 4, and then all of chapter 5 we'll see next week, is all about the sacred culture. It's all about this remnant of people who don't turn their back on God, who don't leave the presence of God, but yet they call on the name of the Lord. And it is an amazing thing. Now, I want you to watch this. This is just still blows my mind. When we get here to verse 25, when all of that chapter 4, they're building cities, they're, creating, they're building cattle ranches, and, and uh, they're doing all this stuff, and music, and, and ironworks, and all this. And then you come to chapter 25, and God makes not one mention of any human accomplishment whatsoever. None. Zip. Zero. Doesn't say anything about Seth and his people, whether they built cities or invented anything or did... Nothing at all. Doesn't say a word about any of their worldly accomplishments. Now listen, they're just as smart. They're just as strong. They're just as healthy. They're living just as long. I'm sure they built cities. I'm sure they invented things. I'm sure they made accomplishments... But yet next week when we come to chapter 5, even then, a whole chapter, the Bible never says one single word about anything they did in this world as far as building or vocations or any human accomplishment whatsoever. Nothing. Doesn't care about that at all. Instead, we are introduced to worship. His whole line says whole lineage is known for one thing and one thing only, and that's worship. We have here the oldest reference to worship of Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord God. And I want you to notice something, by the way. There is no evolution of religion in the Bible. Okay? Men don't start out... See, evolutionists will tell you that men start out with some primitive idea of gods. And they worship trees and rocks and suns. And as we evolve, we evolve into this idea of a loving, caring God. We... we, we, but that's not the way the Bible says it at all. It started out with the worship of the one true God. And it went downhill from there. See? Look at what Romans 1, 21 to 23 says about this. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to God. But they what? They became futile. See, it didn't start out that way with mankind. We started out knowing there was one God. We knew His name was Yahweh, Jehovah. We worshipped Him as such. But as time went on, we devolved away from that into all this other mess, um, and we became futile. We became fools in our thinking. Now, what does call upon mean? It says, at that time, they began to call upon the Lord God. Well, that is a very general Hebrew term. Remember, they only got 8,000 words. So this term here, it can mean to pray to, it can mean to proclaim. Uh, it can mean even to name. And in the end, by the way, I think it means all of those things. When it says they began to call on the name of the Lord, what it's saying is they began to worship. They prayed to Jehovah. They proclaimed Jehovah. They praised Jehovah. They did all the things that we do today. They worship the Lord God. You see, Cain turned his back on God And he made no effort in his family or in his lineage to preserve the name of the Lord. But through the line of Seth, God preserves his name. Next week, we're going to see. I tell you what, I'll give you a hint. Come back next week, and I will blow your mind. I promise you. In that that chapter 5 of those names, there's some stuff in there that will absolutely blow your mind. I promise you. For example, I'll give you one quick hint. The seventh seventh from uh, Adam in Cain's line was a man named Laman, evil, arrogant, murderous. Anybody know who the seventh from Adam in the line of Seth is? It's a man named Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and he didn't die because God took him. I mean, it's like the Bible just lays it out. It says, you want to see what the secular line leads to? Here it is. You want to see what a a line that that worships God leads to? Here it is. And it puts them on a pedestal right at the seventh and says, look, there it is. Guys, that's not an accident. I'm sorry. That's not an accident. You want to know why, why the Holy Spirit reaches out and tells us all about this murderous, arrogant, vile man named Lamech? Because in the next chapter, it's going to tell us about this man that pleases God named Enoch. And it just sets them up there for you to look at and say, hey, here's your choices. These are your two choices the sacred or the secular the holy or the vile the believer or the unbeliever this is it just you want to know what it leads to here it is i'll lay it all out for you seth his lineage calls on the name of the lord and he's not known his his family's not known for building cities for music for any of those things that we put so much stock in but when we come to the new testament luke chapter 3 opens and it says this and jesus When he began his ministry, he was about 30 years of age, being the son as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli, and it goes on down, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. You want to know what Seth's known for? He is direct lineage of Christ himself. Now, that's a good thing to be known for. That's a real good thing to be known for. You see, there you go. One man is known for earthly accomplishments. Cities and music and all this kind of stuff. The other is known for preserving the name of the Lord God and producing the Messiah in his lineage. Here's the question for every one of us as we come to the end of chapter 4. What will you be known for? What will you be known for? We're going to come to chapter 5, and the thing you're going to notice about chapter 5, it's going to say this over and over, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died and he died, and he died. You, you can't leave chapter 5 without knowing what the point is. Death reigns through sin in the world. He died, he died. See, we're all going to die. There's going to be an epitaph written for each and every one of us. What will you be known for? Your earthly accomplishments? Or will you be known for, for preserving the name of the Lord God. Are you going to be a Cainite or are you going to be a Sethite? Are you going to focus on the temporary or are you going to focus on the eternal? You you can't come to the end of chapter 4 without just seeing it. Just put out there for us. Listen, we all have a choice. Let's go back to our quote I started with. Kerry Newhoff said this, it's critical church leaders keep trying new things. Keep experimenting. Too many church leaders are perfectly equipped to reach a world that no longer exists. Is that true? Absolutely not. The same world that existed in the day of Lamech, and the day of Seth, the day of, 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 of Enoch, all of Noah, it's, it's the same world. Technology changes, we dress different, we got all this other stuff on the outside, but on the inside, we are exactly the same. We are either, a, we are either from the lineage of Cain or we're the lineage of Seth. We either we devote our lives to the secular or we devote our lives to the sacred. Every, everybody in, that lives has that same choice. And more importantly, what was true pre-flood is still true today. In the midst of a secular... You understand the Holy Spirit's building you this picture of this society that's growing and, and, and inventing music and cities and tools and it's just progressing, right? It's, it's a culture with no redeeming value to it. A culture that does all this stuff, and none of it can change a person's heart. And inside this culture, God has placed a remnant of people. That was the story pre-flood, and it's still the story today. It's the exact same story. You see, if we are a member of that remnant, like Seth, our calling is exactly like Seth. And that is to preserve the name of the Lord in our families and in our churches to proclaim His name, to praise His name, to proclaim His gospel. See, the question is that, which are we focused on? In your life, in my life, which one are we focused on? Are we focused on the secular? Are we focused on building our careers and our families and all of that kind of stuff? Or are we focused on Him and making His name known in our, in our world? See, that's the question. As we come to the end of chapter 4, that we can just put up there, which will you be known for? Which will you be known for? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, chapter four of uh, what a what an amazing chapter, Lord. I confess that when I got to it, I had no idea uh, what it was going to be about or, or what I was going to say, but uh, wow, wow, what a lesson is sitting here for us, Lord, and I just pray as we come out of here as a Sunday school class, and and I pray that everyone here is a Uh, in the lineage of Seth. We are spiritually Sethites. That God, we will walk out of here and understand that all this stuff, all this stuff, it's just stuff. It it means absolutely nothing. There is only one thing that matters. One thing that we want to be known for, and that is preserving your name, calling on your name. That is the only thing in time that matters. Help us be those kind of people. We ask for all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.